you're on this time. Yeah. One of these times, it will just be automatic where I hit the record button. Hmm. <laughs> you say 21 times makes a habit? Fuck. <laughs> uh. So, next season. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I was saying you're a little bit when you crochet. Right, yeah. You brought it out again. Got a blanket project that's growing. Yeah, it's almost taller than you now. It's not that tall yet. It's more than a lap gam now, now though, which is cool. It's at least a foot past your foot. Yes, but that's not taller than me. You see? It's probably... Diagonally, it's taller than you. Okay, well, yes, diagonal it would be. <laughs> but if you consider that as a square, it's definitely well over four feet tall. Mm-hmm. Four feet long. Probably close to four and a half feet. Keep a brand new baby warm. Oh, is that what we're doing? <laughs> I know, we actually thought we'd give it a shot, huh? Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, it depends. depends on if this baby would be any bigger than the last one. Oh, jeez. Let's try to keep that next one in for longer than two trimesters. Mm, be nice. <laughs> <clears throat> for our listeners, our, our little one was born premature. She skipped the whole third trimester. And, yeah, completely skipped. She, 28 weeks. She had enough of that, and she was like, fuck this, I'm out of here. <laughs> Figured. Things are generally developed. The rest of it is not quite necessary. I'm coming out. Yeah. yeah. Two pounds, one ounce, no fat on her. So now, now you have the background as to... She came out what, breathing and fine and everything, though, what, which... So, you know, kudos to her. Yeah. You, now you understand what Sage said last, last time, why we spent three months um, in the NICU, so... All the formality things and yeah. stuff. Making sure that she was healthy enough for their standards. Yeah. <laughs> We're not going to talk about the whole thing yeah. about that right now. Because that was three months of hell for us as parents. And I don't know if you if, if you know anybody who actually had a kid, like, be born like that and have to spend time in the NICU. She was a feeder and grower for pretty much the entire time, as be, they put it. If you if you have a friend who has gone through that or who is going through that, be there for your friend. That is true. That's I'm I'm gonna say that straight out. This is the time to be there for your friend. If you want to know if you have a vehicle and your friend does not, I tell you, that is the one thing that will make the difference. Be there for your friend. <laughs> Driving them. <clears throat> I'll tell ya. If if you're a boss listening to this and and your and your your employee is going through this, fucking be there for your employee. You want to retain that employee for the rest of their their career entirely. It's real simple. Be the, drop them off at the hospital before your shift and pick them up after. Listen. That's all you need to do, and they will be there forever. Leave you. Bottom line: be damned when it comes to a life. 
you be there for your employee. Whatever they need, if there's a premature baby being birthed, be there for your employee. If it's your friend, be there for your friend. I can say that without fail, without remorse. This actually leads into, because, you know, while we were in the NICU, there was a fair bit of grief stuff going on there, too. We are going to talk about grief. Yeah. Today today is about we, grief. We witnessed a fair bit of loss in NICU. Yes, we did. And that's why we're talking about grief today. Well, I don't even think that was what stemmed it. It just, no. funny enough, is No. Well, I mean, you're, you're, you're bringing it up now, with it. and yes, there's a lot, but... That wasn't the original reason why I wanted to talk about grief. Yeah, you said you you had a whole thing you were talking about, so I imagine you were doing some research recently because I actually don't know what it was that stemmed this most recently. Research or a client or something must have stemmed that for you. Um, yeah, a little bit. A little bit of both, I would say. As you guys are know by now, like I do a lot of research and oh <clears throat> I just came across a few things that led me to remember a few clients from our past and the things that they went through and the losses that they incurred and that sort of laundried into losses that I've personally incurred. You know, over the oh, years. So it even came up from that. Yeah. And a lot of things going on then. So I have, you know, I mean, it's not, not stuff that I haven't dealt with. It's stuff that I've, that I've already dealt with, but it brought me to a place where I, I thought, you know, this could be something that, I mean, you know, every topic that we talk about, we're not the only ones. We're not fucking special. Like, <laughs> You know what I mean? Because we are. You know what I mean? That's been been my thing. Like, we're not, we're not, you know, we're not special. Everybody goes through this shit. That part is true. But we have a spiritual way of looking at situations, even in the most dire circumstances. Not to mention, we really try to delve into the why, the how, well, since we're teaching little one the main questions the how what where when why mm-hmm, mm-hmm. of every everything that we come across because for the both of us i mean we discussed the last one in the neurodivergent topic there yeah so for both of us on that note the information thing is huge we understand a situation if we have the information so discussing topics we really gain a lot of learning from each other to add to what we may have already been reading or researching. Mm -hmm. So that's why I thought you must have been doing some recent learning in one of your courses or something that brought this up. But if it was also some experience, because we were discussing some of those the other day. It was just just experiential. It was just experiential. Um, Like there was a lot, there was a lot that came up and I had to kind of look at it from... A new perspective because it's been so many years. Mm-hmm. We haven't know? discussed grief in a few years now, at least. No, no, because you know some of that may have been because a little one for quite a while. Mm-hmm. Well, not not so much for me. Not no? so much. For okay, me. well, definitely no. for me. Right. 
Which makes sense. It totally makes sense. And, and I could I could totally see that. But for me, it was it was really just looking back at all of the things that, uh, yeah, all of the things that that happened, and just understanding the way that my mind works. Well, rephrase the way that I understand how my mind worked then and the improvements that I needed to make in order for it to work the way it does now. So those that, that's sort of a transition as opposed to a contrast. Okay. So what's, those, yeah. What's the latest for you that you have observed? Well, one thing is still the same. Just like everybody else, I fucking hate grief. I still, I still abhor grief. But even more so, I abhor people holding on to grief. Some people enjoy holding on to grief. And that—that's—that's that's the third one that I was going to get to. The enjoyment of holding on to grief, and the denial. This would be the fourth one. The denial of those same people that they're enjoying holding on to grief. See, because, and I know this, this will probably spark massive, massive contention, but grief, sadness, pain, those are a part of life. How we respond to them determines our forward movement. And it doesn't matter what level of grief you are experiencing, you have to know that those are the things that are a part of life. Even more so, I got to um, uh, season three, episode 10, yeah, of Designated Survivor. And that's where the spoiler alert here, if you haven't seen it, um, the the girl that been with him for the longest time, her mother asked her to to participate in in euthanization, right? So, <clears throat> of course, she didn't want to do it, but you know she ended up having to do it because her mom was stage four cancer. Mom was like, "Fuck this! I'm not I'm not gonna die in pain. I want to die on my own terms," right? Which, I remember sending you that article that that has cropped up as probably the most recent thing um, that has in almost, well, a small way been politicized, you know, as to if people have the right to check out on their own terms. There's a lot of, there's been a lot of moral debate, and I know it does have some legalities. I don't even know the depths of all the Canadian legalities, but I do know certainly in at least a chunk of Canada that it is legal. I don't know if it's legal everywhere. I don't I don't remember. I'll probably have to do a little bit more research on that and you know, maybe maybe as this as this topic unfolds, I'll probably uh <clears throat> I'll probably get some links on there when I post it. You know, so but anyway, you were um, going to talk more about the... 
Yeah, I, concept of. the the concept that concept kind of also pushed me further into the act of grief. You know, um, so just to give it a bit of clarity, I kind of pulled up a little bit of a thing here. Reminds me a little of your own dad, who, as you said, sort of chose to be done. Yeah, I'll, I'll get into that in a second. Just to hang on, hang on with that. Um, all right, so the standing definition right now from helpguide.org says grief is a natural response to loss. It's the emotional suffering you feel when something or someone you love is taken away. Often the pain of loss can feel overwhelming. You may experience all kinds of difficult and unexpected emotions, from shock or anger to disbelief, guilt, and profound sadness. So that's kind of the running definition. Of course, there are a plethora of nuances to that. And even more so, there is the psychology of how a person is taught to grieve because you have to be taught to grieve if if you don't know how to respond to someone you've developed a close relationship with dying um it's sort of confusion in your mind so you have to be taught from a from a, a child how to grieve. I grew up in a time where children were never ever allowed to go to funerals. And if you happen to be at the funeral, um, like that would have just been happenstance. But you were at the wake, right? And then you were at the you were at you know, like the, the wake happens kind of before, and then you have sort of a celebration of life after, after the funeral. Like you can go oh, to- Oh, wow, there's, they've got multiple stages. Well, right kind, of, kind of, kind of, sort of. I, I'm just, I'm trying to categorize it in the best way that I could. It's still different naming convention, you know, but basically that's kind of what happens. You always have the wake before you know, the night before. And then everybody goes uh, goes to the funeral the next day. And depending on the culture, um, your, your cultural background or oh, heritage background, the wake is sometimes more than one night before the funeral. And I mean, from my perspective, wakes are a fairly recent thing and like culturally and and culture it's a matter of somebody dies a few days later there's a funeral you bury them you move on right and that is the way it works but that's what i'm referring to that's exactly what i'm referring to that's how you were taught to understand where the grieving process begins you know know what i mean like there's there's a there's a definitive thing that happens here like, you know, Caribbean style, somebody dies, 
it's a big thing. You know, it seems to be a big thing most everywhere, and mm-hmm. you know, you know that I've seen it different. But I found, like, when you talk about teaching, when I look at my parents, they both grieve very differently. Like my dad's side, grieving of anybody, he pretty much went off his rocker. Right. Never really recovering from the grief. And on mom's side, she was a little more like me, a little more analytical, like, yes, sad, you shed tears, you know, you feel things, but it's better to think, you know, the goodness, recognize, you know, and I think that this is where I get my thing, you know, you recognize that it's just them moving on to the next set of life. And the biggest issue being when it's a surprise, then it, it you have a bit of a shock period. Mm-hmm. But otherwise, it's a natural part of life. So you, she was always big into the wake concept mm-hmm. because then you're remembering the good times and such mm-hmm. and just celebrating their life rather than um, grieving the loss, celebrating all the good things that did happen and transitioning into being without them. Mm-hmm. I kind of took that on, mind you. I always saw grief like losing anyone in any way. When I was younger, it was really simple. And I mean, even through us, you've seen that. Mm-hmm. That may be an autism thing, from what I understand. Perhaps, perhaps. And I mean, considering the neurodivergency we discussed last time, there may be some aspects there to consider, too, in how people grieve. Mm-hmm. But for me, it was always, it's always been straightforward. It's not that I miss... I don't feel like I miss the person less, but... It's logical it happened in my brain. It happens to everyone. No one escapes death. Ultimately, it's just a matter of when. So the grief tends to be if there's a lot of unfinished business, more so than anything. And that grief can really, really fuck with you. Like, like to... But then, I've never left business unfinished, really, as much as I can. Hmm. So maybe there's that. And see, so I think I think that's a good way. That's mm-hmm. a good way to look at it. So, I guess my my exploration of this, you know, like for our listeners, is to try and understand how how do we get a person to negotiate transitioning from the pain of the loss that they feel to the acknowledgement that this is a part of life and they're not the target of this. Like, you know what I mean? And, and by the way, I'm not talking about existential circumstances here. I'm just talking about natural, natural loss. Not murder, which no. does bring about some other aspects. Right. In addition to your standard grief. Uh, anytime you do speak with anyone, you do case take even in grief. Absolutely. Simply understanding how they process information to begin with on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. Well, I, and I know, I know that specifically, like just for our listeners, one of the biggest reasons why we talk about this is because uh, I do get clients that participate in one of the rituals that I perform that allows 
for this grief to be exposed and to be understood and to be reconciled with. And every person that I've ever taken through that, their experience is different from the previous person night and day, you know? Some people just <laughs> ball their eyes out. Some people, they, they, f they shudder as a full body experience. And some people just go completely numb through the experience. But that numbness turns out to be a release. You know, so I mean, like this, it's a very important topic because there's so many people that don't know that there are tools that they can uh, take advantage of in order to overcome grief. They've lived with grief for so long that grief has become their friend as opposed to something that they simply participate in and then let go. There's also living grief to take into account when people are still alive, like you don't, they're not in your life for whatever reason may be. I was about to get to that. <laughs> Living grief, I think, is probably the, the way, way more fucked up. Because... There's no end to it. There's no, no. real end. Well, ending relationships is a very serious state of grief. It is a major loss, and most people don't equate it with death. But... I, I firmly believe that uh, loss of relationships, like uh, intimate or not, loss of relationships, if you've had a, a deep, connected relationship with another human that spanned over time and you have lost that connection or you've been in any way disconnected from that person permanently, that will bring on grief in a big way. You have to deal with it in many of the same ways that you would in a death grief. Yeah. I mean, the same basic print, um, five main steps of grief, for example, do apply. It's interesting you say five because I started doing a little bit of research before we started this. And apparently... There are now seven. Okay. Well, the five main ones like that were always purported. It always seemed like there was a lot more to it than that to me. But it gave a good, a good inkling. So what are the seven now that you have discovered or learned so, about? According to medicine.net, um, says perhaps the most well-known model for understanding grief was developed by Elizabeth Kubler-Ross. Did we read her stuff? Is that the so. same one we read? I think so. I don't remember. Um, in her 1969 book titled On Death and Dying, we might have read this that, when I was wasn't doing... Wasn't that that green when, book? When I was doing the suicide stuff, yeah. 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 When you were doing that research stuff. Yeah. I, because it, it rings a bell. That's, that's where it would have been. Uh, the five stages of the grief cycle that she outlined are denial, anger, bargaining, depression, acceptance. 
These stages also apply to the stages of dying. The grief associated with one's own death, she described. Uh, the stage of denial, and then she kind of goes into that. And Kubler-Ross apparently felt these phases can be applied to any significant personal loss, for example, of a job, relationship, one's own health, anticipating one's own death, as well as the death of a loved one. It also seems that she believed these stages don't all have to occur. Yeah, I read that right. Um, can take place in a different order and can reoccur many times as part of an individual's specific grief process. Other grief experts describe seven stages of grieving, specifically shock or disbelief, denial, bargaining, guilt, anger, depression, and then acceptance or hope. I feel like that closer fits me. Mm. Because when I briefly heard you go through the, like as I briefly put that towards a few other things, I think that's closer to how I would go through a thing. And see, I, I think they really articulated this right, because not a lot of people will go through the shock and disbelief because of their sense of awareness. Shock and disbelief is kind of like the shutdown of the awareness of the event that was experienced. So, for example... That's where you get people, what, fainting from shock. Uh, or they just... they just Shutting are down un, entirely un, and yeah, can't... unresponsive. Can't respond and... Like their eyes are open. Catatonic and such. They, well, they, they, appear, they appear to be catatonic, but they're fully aware of... The only thing that they're fully aware of in the moment is that they are alive. But even at that their state of being alive is in question that that that's what that would be the way that i could describe that kind of shock you know i wonder if everyone does experience that to an extent because i feel that potentially even if it's momentary it exists because when i look back at every experience i've had despite me going through the grief process very very um, cleanly, um, well compared to those that let it extend their life, like extend into all aspects of them for a long time. Like, well, we've been told I have kind of a cold approach with grief, but I think it's more I take those stages and just go through because I do certainly always have that shock moment, though sometimes it's lasted all of 20 seconds. See, on my, my frame of reference for that kind of shock moment, I can only describe it um, from a martial arts experience. You're, you're, the first time you get hit, that's shock. Especially if you're practicing fairly regularly and you're like always on point. You, the first time an opponent hits you or... Um, they're able to parry your attack and counter 
and then you get like in other words your defense meant fuck all <laughs> and you got hit that is a shock because it breaks every ounce of confidence you have in that moment unless you are trained to take a hit and that's one of the things that my um my my seafood back in the day he was very adamant about he made us sit in a southern horse stance and we had to be sitting in that minimum five minutes arms tucked high and then he would come around like once we got i we got to the part where we were able to hold it for five minutes but believe me when i tell you legs shaking like this was like some marine level shit right legs shaking and you can't have your back slouch like your back had to be straight like you're sitting in a chair and then when we got to that point where we were able to do it, even under the shaking, he w- he wouldn't wait till we got it perfect. He was with the whole ideology that you have to put the body into shock to stop focusing on the pain. So he'd walk around <laughs> with... <laughs> uh, he'd walk around with the bow staff. <laughs> If if your back was not in the right position, whack. <laughs> your back straightens real quick, <laughs> real quick, because your body then stops focusing on the pain. I know, like with with like uh, emergency, emergency, you know, people, you know, they they have techniques for trying to bring someone out of shock. You know, so like I, I could see what you're saying with that, but then, I, yes, I would agree that a lot of people do go into shock, but it's for varying degrees of of lucidity. Very much. Yeah. I mean, if somebody were to tell me currently, for example, my mother died or some, sorry, <laughs> Apparently, I'm speaking lower than usual. Mm-hmm. If someone were to say, tell me that my mother died, there would be a moment of, what? You know, that heart drop kind of feeling of, uh, you know, there's, there's no words for a moment. Mm-hmm. Every mm-hmm. thought kind of going, racing through, going, huh? And even though that may only last for five or ten seconds, I would still view that as that shock moment. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. I think the I think the same thing would apply, but differently. Um, <clears throat> if someone were to experience saying, "Hey, so and so died," wasn't that your ex? <laughs> like, it's, even it's then, a- would you not have a shock and disbelief moment of going, "What"? Yeah, I probably still would. I probably still like it would still be a shock thing. It may not necessarily be um, that you're especially upset per se, but it would be shocking because it's not something you're expecting. This is true. 
This is true. Or certainly not in whatever moment that you told about it. I think most people tend to tend to um, pad, like for for that kind of situation with an ex, right? Because we're we're talking about a a, a, a mental state with a connection. So that connection was already severed. That's why they're an ex. So any other situations that happen to that person, the only thing it brings in is a mental state of morality. Are you going to be that person to be happy about their death simply because they experience the experience you had with them what you determined to be an atrocious experience and are you willing to confront anyone that would call you out as a disdainable human <laughs> because you you know like you know what i mean well, like there's here's that the thing. Yeah. when you went over the definition of grief mm-hmm. it did specify loved one your ex, while you may have loved them at a time, there's certainly no love lost now. So would you really be considered to be going through a grief process unless you actually did hold some level of love still there? That's a powerful question, I would say. That would be an extremely powerful question. Or is there like some anti-hero of grief, like some anti-grief type thing? Because I'm sure most people can think of someone who they would be exceptionally happy to hear has died. For whatever rhyme or reason. And if you're I'm sure everyone has that. If you're listening to this, so, don't bullshit. We know you do the <laughs> we know you feel I mean, that especially way. Especially if it's someone <laughs> you have been very close with at some point. I like your referencing of an ex. Yeah. Because most people have some reference for absolutely um some terrible experience with an ex Mm -hmm. so it's fairly commonplace for people to have that that thought in their head Mm -hmm. so when you consider it like that could it be grief i mean yes they were a loved one but if you truly are at a complete hate point with them would you still grieve i think it would still be grief because hate is a connection that's know, that's think... what that's what I think. I think hate is hate is a very powerful connection. I think it's just as powerful as love is, because you're spending time hating that person. Hmm, that's interesting. And what are you, are you grieving the energy that you put to them? Well, let's let's them? let's play this out, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, for our listeners, hold on to your seats now, because we're about to get really macabre here. All right, let's play this out. So. You're you're saying that okay, an ex, a hated ex dies, right? How is that person supposed to act or react? Are they grieving? Well, yes, I believe that they are grieving. The reason I believe they're grieving is because hate has the same level of potency and connection as love does, because you're spending the time to hate that person which means that you hate the fact that they died. You hate the fact that you couldn't be the last person to see them. You that you hate the fact that you couldn't be the one to be there to watch their lights go out. That's interesting too. It's a very macabre way even, to think about like, it. If you have enough hate for a person, you could even grieve that you were not the one to cause their death. Yes, exactly. 
in some, you know, gross as that may seem, in the deep, dark depths of your soul, if you don't address that there's some grief about even that. Well, this is a part of this. That could really come through for a lot of things later on. Those who study criminal uh, criminology and understand in trying to understand the minds of criminals, they have to take it there in order to truly understand what is a person capable of when they are in that frame of mind to commit a crime. So if grief is addressed properly, I think it would solve a plethora of crimes. That's interesting. Pre, premeditated well, crimes. Yeah, you certainly wouldn't have as much um, maybe revenge murder type scenarios going on. Well, absolutely. Because understanding the connection you want and to how to someone break who's, it. Well, I mean, and this is a bit of a deep thing that I'm not going to go too far into for all privacy things, but you are very familiar with a particular case where a man murdered his wife out of yeah. a fit of jealousy yeah. of, of her thinking about leaving him. Mm-hmm. Yep. And in that, when you consider the consideration of an ex, if he perhaps had gone through a better grief process over losing her or potentially losing her could that murder have been avoided oh absolutely it could and see but see, and then but, where but, where but was see, his head that he couldn't but see okay, that process that, was he never taught has it, he never seen it in a perfect world that murder could have been avoided in the world that we're in it's unlikely that it would have been avoided right but and hypothetically so, my my thought here is hypothetically is grief in that case such a huge thing that we should be teaching that it could prevent serious deaths and other griefs? I think it is. I personally think it is. And even just looking at that situation alone, um, my, my basis for, for thinking that it really is is because had he had the... Uh, the understanding of how to reconcile the fact that he had lost the connection with his wife, then he would have been able to, um, in some way, deal with it differently. Right? I mean, it's just another consideration. We do have to consider things like um, various mental health type issues that may cause someone to do something impulsively yeah, how would that i think we kind of need to leave that out of this particular well yes because hypothesis you see, see because i don't i think there are too many situations and envi- I, I would call them environmental situations there are too many environmental situations that force a person into a corner you know to label everything um uh mental situation right mental health is extremely important and having proper mental health is extremely valuable to humanity on the whole and even the situations that are going on right now are forcing people into a corner where 
they don't have the ability to to have the mental capacity to hang tight, let alone actually take action. Right. But that has happened over time. And mind you, nonetheless, education and just being taught how to deal with things goes a long way. Which is why I said at the beginning of this, if you are not taught how to handle grief from an early age, you're pretty much hooped and you're going to experience a lot of mental uh, uh, dysfunctionality would be the word I would use here. I have an interesting thought. Mm. Did we not just kind of play teacher mode um, just the other night with our little one, Stuffy? Yes, we did. So with our listeners, we had quite a thing where we couldn't figure out which animal or, you know, stuffy buddy, whatever. We call them buddies here. Mm -hmm. You know, stuffy, plushy, whatever you call them. Mm -hmm. Uh, She's got her favorites that are on the bed, and we couldn't figure out which one had stuffing coming out. And our little one, being the way she is, gradually pulling stuffing out and littering her whole floor, and it was frustrating us. So we confiscated all the stuffies for the day. She wouldn't tell us which one it was coming out of. And we made it clear to her that all... The only reason we didn't know so was so that we could fix this one. Well, eventually, finally, right before bed, I figured out it was her piggy, Stuffy. Yeah, it's named. It is a pig. It's named Piggy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, classic. You know, nice and classic, mm-hmm. toddler style. Um, I mean, she's three now, so we did. You know, it's like okay, found this out right as we were doing the whole singing songs, everything set up for bed, so. Obviously, I didn't want her to be pulling stuffing out in the morning, but I thought she needs a bit of a lesson here, a gentle lesson. So I told her that Piggy would need to spend, you know, would need to get fixed and spend the night in Piggy Hospital, and she'll see him in the morning. Mm-hmm. And she was, okay. You know, she was, she was hesitant, but okay. But then, bearing in mind, because we take into account the, the attention span a three-year-old usually has, mm-hmm. We discussed afterward once I'd, you know, sewn him all up, sewn his head all back up together. And just so people know, he's a really fluffy stuffy. So it took, and there were like three or four little holes there. So that's why I did not notice which stuffy it was. I couldn't figure it out. Yeah, and her little fingers got in, like, was making <laughs> exactly. those holes. And, and it wasn't until um, I was playing some kind of tickly game with, with him. And I was like, his head's kind of weird. And then my finger caught in one of the holes. And I was like, oh, it's picky. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, despite having gone over him how many times before yeah both you and I did but anyway uh, so she she felt good but then after being fixed I had asked you should I go and sneak him back in or not because I mean I told her she'd see him in the morning should I stick to that and decided no stick to the plan she'll see him in the morning yep. so you know I'm wrapped Made it all hospitally like I wrapped him in, you know, one of the giant swaddling blankets. Put him on her, her little kitchen table out here, so that he'd be there. But one thing we considered too is that she tends, she has to wake up on her own early in the morning. Like she, she just she wakes up on her own, has her own quiet time in her bedroom. Her doors crocked open, but she doesn't come out until she's ready. Mm-hmm. 
So the next morning, she clearly had a little bit of that time, but not much. She came and met right at the door as soon as she realized I was passing. And she was in tears that she had lost Piggy. Yeah. yeah. Piggy's gone. I lost Piggy because her mind, like, she remembered Piggy leaving, but the all of the depths of Piggy's coming back and just getting fixed. So she went through a bit of that grief process. And I reminded her all the things, you know, Piggy had to go to the hospital. Mm-hmm. He's ready for you. He's all fixed. But she had to contend with that concept of grief. And oh, we, she, yeah, she had to face it. We, we made her face that. Because if she's had that now, potentially, if she were to completely lose a buddy for some reason, like, I don't know, dog gets, gets it and rips it and we can't find a replacement kind of thing. She's gone through a little piece of that. She's got a reference for grief. Yes. If she loses grandma or something like that, she's got a little bit of a a version of what grief is. Well, see, There's that, some that's, sort of reference. Because that's not the first time, though. For 20 minutes of her life, she had to grieve the loss of one of her favorite buddies. And that wasn't the first time because one because we had it. Remember that we had the slide, right? Right. Yeah, we had we had a we had an indoor slide uh, for her in her bedroom. You know, a bedroom activity thing. And we wanted to change it out because, I mean... We only have so much space. So one giant toy, like one giant equipment thing at a time in here. And then... uh, And she'd not played with it much for a while and was just pretty much abusing it and being weird about it. So we thought it was time to change to the trampoline. Absolutely. So we went through that... Oh. Even though you explained the grief process a bit, so that she was fully aware that the slide was going to a new child. Well, you were, the, you were the one that explained it to her. You 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 well, told true. me that I you you explained it to her. Yeah, and I went through like I explained it probably a week before, because I was going to just post it for free to somebody who needed it, kind mm-hmm. of thing. Mm-hmm. Give it to somebody who needed it. Um, so I knew it would go fairly quick. So I had warned her about a week before that this was going to happen. Um, the trampoline was going to be a birthday gift, but I told her that there's, you know, there's an, there's, we're making space for new toys. Um, and didn't, didn't you also explain to her that there are other, there are other children who don't have any? And- exactly. I, I did explain to her, you have had so much fun with it, you know, and you're not using it as much anymore. So we've decided it's time that another little kid who really wants a slide should have the opportunity to have a slide. And so we can make space for new toys for you. And another kid gets to enjoy a slide that they really wish they could have. She thought that was great. And we went over a very similar thing um, once, like the day that we took pictures and got it posted and all. Mm-hmm. And then right before it went, we went over the same thing. Yeah. And as I was going out the door, there was a bit of a panic. My slide, my slide. <laughs> yeah. But I just reminded her of the thing. Sometimes we have to pass on our toys when we are done with them. We don't keep the same items forever. Yeah. They have to move along. As you're growing, it's time to pass it on to someone who needs it more. And that so, does give an interesting perspective into the grief thing because it's the concept that you don't keep anything forever. Well, look, look, okay, so here's another macabre thing. Parents are the ones that keep memorabilia, not kids. That's true. So uh, even now, I can, I can feel, 
because some listeners are like, oh, hell no, I'm not going to give away my, my kid's toy. Right? Yeah, bear in mind, we've kept, we keep some of those really amazing, yes. great little ones in a box for but, but years my, later. In the my future. point of it is, we are the ones keeping it for memory. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter to one's for a kid, out of sight, out of mind. It's done. It's a wrap. She's only asked about the slide once since. Yeah. And this was like two days after we gave the slide away. But we did that thing where we gave her time to understand the process. And we also let her have, because we did this before her birthday, like several days before her birthday. So she had the empty space to grieve. And Mm -hmm. then we rearranged. Yeah. And then... A couple days later, it was her birthday. And then even then, the new big toy sat in its box for a week. Oh, absolutely. So she had all that time to go through any of those grief stages. And people may argue, that's just a kid's toy. No, it's not. (laughs) given her age, that is a very big piece of her life. Yes. She, at that point, had had it for a third of her entire life. Yes. So, and, you know, used it daily, saw it daily. And sometimes parents don't really consider this just because we're thinking adult mode all the time. So don't, don't shit on yourself because you didn't think about it this way. Just understand that it's just another way, another tool for you to use in your mental arsenal um, in bringing up your kid. Like, you know, don't be mad at yourself because you didn't think about it the way that we're kind of... Uh, expanding on it. That's why we have a podcast so people can get into our head and well, know a little bit you know, about much. what we talk about. They they get into a portion of our head. Portion, of it. that's true. That's true. Uh, but the the point actually. with that is because we brought that up because you said that people need to be taught how to grieve. Yes. And we're giving a couple examples that we have. I mean, with us, we've sort of just known to do it a little bit based on all the things that we've already learned. Mm -hmm. But to that end, something this simple with, you know, inanimate, inanimate. Yeah, you got it right. I did. Inanimate options. (laughs) Never mind. (laughs) You all know what I'm trying to say, I hope. Oh, for a second, I thought you were going to say inhalibit. (laughs) Anyway. That's funny. Well, we've gotten past that bit. The point is, that's teaching a semblance of the grief process. We don't have to go through a full grieving of losing a person to begin teaching how to healthily deal with a loss. Exactly. Loss comes in so many different ways. Mm-hmm. From a young age, loss can be as simple as not knowing where your stuffy buddy is for the next morning after you consciously know you've lost your buddy. Yeah, and that's, that is huge. That is a, a huge, you know, 20 huge 20 minutes in a child's life is far longer in a child's life than it is in an adult life. Like, grown-ass people still don't don't recover from that. I mean, who has freaked themselves into a huge panic having lost their keys for 20 minutes? Yes, exactly. Think about how much more potent that is for a child. because With their they, beloved toy. They don't know that there's another one coming. Or that there's another one, like even if you lost your keys, you know you could just call the manufacturer or you know whatever it is to, to get a replacement. The they, child doesn't even know that that's an option. No, they have no clue that that's what what is available to them. 
So they've had a little introduction. If you gradually increase these things, like I remember the first time I lost a pet, I was, I think, mm-hmm. five years old. Mm-hmm. Like yep. that was another kind of step up of that. Mm-hmm. Maybe because you didn't even have time to prepare for losing the pet. That one, I don't even remember all the details. Well, that no, that one I did. But there was a bit of a grief thing. We had an, a little double cat. Mm. And my mom babysat kids, and that cat attacked everyone. That, that cat went to a farm. And if anybody wants to hear a funny story, this mm. cat was so vicious that um, the farm we sent him out to, mm. they told us they had two huge dogs that unfortunately had a habit of eating cats, and they could not guarantee he would, he would be alive. You, and my, you slow that down because okay. I don't think anybody. Okay, that. yeah, they, the farm that this little cat went to. So this is just a complete tangent because it's a funny story. But this little cat that I did have to put a little grief into, despite being so scratched up from him, mm-hmm. um, he was sent out to a farm. The owners of the farm had told my mom that they had two dogs. They were very protective dogs. They needed them on this farm. But the problem they had with cats is that these dogs killed cats. Mm -hmm. They had a tendency to do that. As such, they were worried because they could not guarantee that this cat would survive it and quite likely wouldn't. Mm -hmm. And my mom, my mom's farm girl anyway, Mm -hmm. and she told them, that's no problem. But on that note, I'm quite certain this one will live. (laughs) And the story mom told me that she got from them mm-hmm. was this little cat tweaker was its name mm-hmm. his name the boy um and for those thinking tweaker what because i've had comments on that there was a kids co kid clip pardon me a kids show called hug a bunch when i was young and my favorite character in that show was tweaker okay that's why right <laughs> it's from the TV show Hug a Bunch, not because there was weed around. Oh god. <laughs> or some weird thing like that. <laughs> or because the cat was a tweaker. Right. I was I was not that logical at four when right. I first got him. There you go. But back to the story. So the cat gets out there and uh, the story goes that the dogs took a look at the cat and said and basically said Oh, snack! <laughs> and the cat looked around in his high and mighty way, looked at the dogs, and said, Oh, snack! <laughs> <laughs> um, within a minute, two very large cat eating dogs were running away, whimpering in pain, with scratches all over their faces, and never bothered the cat again. The cat also stood up to their violent rooster. Wow. And that cat went on to impregnate other cats, and all of the little babies that eventually were there have been the namesake of this farm because they're, they don't let dogs eat them. They stay there. They mouse well. And Tweaker gave lots of legacy with other little snack <laughs> type cats. That's... So on that note, on a on an epic level though, when you think about it, there's a place for every creature. Like that cat was not fit to be in a home with kids and such. He was just 
Yeah, you need to be. It, he wasn't like specifically vicious. He was just. He just saw animalistic. no, no reason not to go full tackle mode when he was in good play, any kind of play mode. He mm. saw no reason that he should not jump from the top balcony of the stairs and land on a four-year-old's head. Right. He thought it was great. This is yeah. <laughs> but when he you know, effectively jumped from the top of the porch onto the vicious cat-eating dog's head. Mm-hmm. Whole different story. Right. There was, there was a place for him. Yeah. <laughs> craziness. But anyway, the point that that started out with was that concept of a child experiencing the grief of the pet. Mm-hmm. Because that's another thing that many people are similar with. It's an introduction to that concept of grief. If you take well, that the right way... We, and teach those, mm-hmm. you really develop a healthy relationship with the concept of grief. We've done psychic sessions with people who lost pets, and we've seen that kind of grief too. Mm-hmm. We you sure know? have. So, I mean, our our perspective on this um, also entails the psychic information that we have experienced uh, through clients. Oh, pardon the beep. Okay. I just turned the heater off where our place gets a little cold at certain times of the day, but I have a nice warm crocheted blanket on my lap and I'm wearing fleece pants and I'm really hot. Mm. Yes, you are. TMI. Too much information for people. If anybody really needed to hear all of that. Welcome to my world. You're not too hot. Just the right amount of hot. (laughs) You just want me to take off my shirt and then you'd be set, right? Yeah, you know trying to heat it up enough that I start taking off clothes. We could turn it into that kind of podcast. <laughs> <clears throat> well, technically it is a podcast. For all they know, we're all naked already. Except uh, for the fact that I just admitted I'm wearing clothes. People have good imaginations. I'm sure they'll figure it out. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, where were we with the grief topic? <laughs> grief with your clothes off? I don't know. Grieving sex? <laughs> Hey, listen, that's a that's big one. That's thing, though. That's a big one. We ought to come and discuss that early on because you, I remember you saying, I remember being floored when you said since the first time, <laughs> I know a big divulgence, but you had told me that since the first time you had ever had sex, you had not ever gone longer than a month without it. Yeah, no, my entire life. And mm-hmm. so it was like, that, that kind of threw me. I was like, some of it was by choice. The majority of it was just by circumstance. But when it was creeping up to like thirty days, nah, fuck that. We we handling this. About to grieve any we, sex. We handling this now, today, tonight. <laughs> it's going down. Like, I mean, you've always been fairly good, like pretty good looking. I was trying to say fairly good looking one. You know. there've been times you've been. I you know I've seen pictures from way before I met you. In a sense, in a sense, I grieve. So you would have had no issue there. Well, right, but since we're talking about grief, like in a sense, I do grieve that part of my personality that um, goes to that extent. And here's a thought, because we were talking about even grieving with an ex. How many people have it where grieving of sex is a huge aspect where? They don't know if they're ever going to get it again and such. Well, let me repeat the thing and see if, see if it matches, all right? Let's see if sex could apply to this. So 
first one, let's take taking the seven into account. So shock and disbelief. Okay, let's say you you've broken up with an ex. Right. There's probably that in there. Okay. Right. Denial. I could live with which is what a lot of women do. I don't need a man. I can have sex on my own. Like And <laughs> I mean true as that may be, the point is the grief process. So okay, we've got a fit there. Denial, right? Yeah. Um, bargaining. Well, I could just go out and look at guys or Maybe if I just look at porn, that'll be, that'll be. Could it also be, well, maybe he just wants like a, a quick remembering thing. Maybe right. Because yeah. you have those ones too, right? Right. They just want to sleep with the ex just one more time just to show him that he, he's missing out. Right. Okay. All right. Guilt. What did I do to cause this? Or am I not good enough? Or if and I mean, they this did... could work with guys too. It goes kind of right. like, it goes both ways. Or if they did sleep with the, or if they ex, cheated, there's guilt there. Right. right. Or if they did sleep with the ex, oh. they'd be like, they'll, they'll be like, you yeah. know, like shit, I shouldn't have done that. Okay. So we've got to fit there. Anger. Why don't they love me? Mm, yeah. Anger about, could it be, but I deserve sex. Because we're specifically talking about the sex thing, right? Could it be something like that? Or are we thinking yeah. more like sexual tension buildup causing the anger? Well, Could even even thing? more so biologically, lack of sex will make you angry. That's kind of what I was thinking with that. Like, really, it's an actual biological thing that has been scientifically proven. Okay. Lack so of sex will make a person extremely angry. Okay, so we can definitely get anger in there. All right, what's the next one? Depression. Lack of sex will depress the shit yeah. out of you. Yeah, <laughs> right. There we go. And then, uh, and there's also, of course, in that that part, you know, depression from say the fear of maybe never ever getting any again, things like that. Well, that's the last one, which is acceptance and hope. Which is why so I some people that there before we got into that. Some people are Ooh. hopeful that this dry spell will be done with and over with. Some people just accept it. Well, shit, I'm never having sex again. So by that standard, I'd say you can definitely agree with sex. Mm-hmm. On its own. <laughs> See, I, I, I think it's, I think it's very applicable to a lot of drama, drama TV series. Oh, they do it all. Play the time. that out all the time. All the time. When you think about any popular drama where just it's all about the sex, sex, sex for a character and that's their motivating factor if they had a healthier relationship with the concept of grief and knowing that that actually is pertinent and went through that process do we think they could have eliminated a whole lot of trauma from their life well i could even ask a, a, a question that positions itself alongside of that what about sex healing grief is that an actual thing now that's curious. They're very, um, very much a borderline type topic here, where people are going to be on one side of a fence or another. And well, it could be Freudian. I mean, if you, if you. But that's an interesting concept. Because well, grief that's... is grief is extremely powerful, and if you're not grieving over sex, can sex be used as a tool to um, mitigate? Well, let's the healing at, process. Let's look at the idea of the comeback guy or comeback girl. The um, is that am I using the right term? I have no idea. You were mine, but I don't remember what that term was. 
rebound, rebound, rebound guy right, or right, rebound right. girl. And yes, you did hear right. Don't be like, wait a minute, back up. No, yes, I was the rebound guy, and we're together eleven years. Ultimately, so <laughs> but <laughs> that was that's a whole nother aside thing. That's like a three-hour podcast. A <laughs> that's just a whole interesting convenience. Realizing, holy, when you actually think about it, if you would have been my rebound guy. If we tell, if we tell you the full universal story behind that, it will, it will oh, fucking man. trip you up. Some Hardcore. crazy stuff. Anyway, but okay, so let's consider the, the concept of the rebound guy or rebound girl. Mm-hmm. If you're grieving a relationship, if you're grieving. Okay, so we've got the grieving relationship where you've, say, been broken up with. Mm-hmm. The rebound person, that would be basically the concept of sex to heal the grief. But isn't that, see, it's argumentative because it does not often just put a stopper in it unless you're actually going through the grief process consciously. Isn't that just trying to avoid the grief process unless you are consciously doing it? From, from what I've researched prior to now... The consensus seems to be that the release the well, the release of orgasm takes away the fuel needed to grieve from an emotional perspective. That's what that's what the consensus appears to be from everything okay. that I have personally read concerning that specific. Uh, use of sex because a lot of people use sex as opposed to enjoy it yes like i would say a scary 90 percent of people use sex as opposed to actually enjoy it and i've been guilty of that a few times but at least it's you know but see, there's a difference very, there's a of difference. course it's, it's very specifically for that right there's a there's a difference but that's, to me i think if you're going to use sex you have to be, both people must be consciously aware of it. And that's where I was going to kind of get into saying, you know, if the other person is of the same mind, then fine. You it's know, generally not a big thing. To me, like a true, a true status of friends with benefits is to me, like the cleanest possible use of sex. Mm-hmm. Like Workout we, buddies. Like we, we could be in friends. In fashion. We could be friends to a certain degree. Uh, while we help each other alleviate um, any sort of sexual tension needs that we may or may not have. And at some point in time, it might be fun. Like, you know what I mean? Like, that's... And it's, it's not dissimilar to our experience because we were ultimately hard and fast friends. Yes. Everything else stemmed along the way with a number of situations and things. Right. And grew and went. Right. I just didn't have anybody between my last guy and then when you and I were together. Right. <laughs> so from a technicality, yeah, it, was, it so, was a rebound. But even rebound guys or rebound girls, um, I think what I, I think the social hang-up that is associated with it is the the sort of stigmatic thing that I'm I'm trying to identify that shouldn't mm-hmm. be there. And I think the thing I'm like trying to identify, I'm not trying to interrupt you, I'm just excited with my thought. The question is whether it's actually helping or hindering the grief process. I think that solely relies on whether or not you're conscious of what you're doing in that. For example, like looking back on it, you being my 
like a rebound guy, mm-hmm. um, it would have been more of a con- conscious recovery. I'd have been like, huh. I don't yeah, but we, really need we to had, deal with that as much. We had incredible communication, though. We did. And from an early on point, like, I'm sure I'd gotten, like, I'd gotten through all of that before we were a, a thing thing mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. any sort. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so there was, there was so a there, significant... There's some things there, but I'm just thinking, because you get, like, a lot of movies portray this, right? Like, for example, one light, ridiculous TV series that I'm watching right now when I need just... To let us, you know, you know, sometimes you just need a really dumb show. <laughs> okay, so I, the dumb one I have right now is called Mom. <laughs> Basically, this woman, about like a mother and daughter, uh, both being like the, the slutty, druggy, alcoholics and stuff, and had, had their child very, you know, teenage moms, both mm-hmm. of them, mm-hmm. and now, the the granddaughter one there is now pregnant. Oh, Jesus. So, I'll stress out. But anyway. That's drama. What I'm, <laughs> it's, like I said, it's, it's just one of those dumb, weird shows that just lets off some steam sometimes. Mm-hmm. Some people watch Family Guy, uh, watch that kind of thing. Mm. For that, that moment. But in there, what I'm considering is the mom character, basically, is like the, the grandmother, the, the, <laughs> the oldest of the mom. Mm-hmm. That's why it's called mom because it's a whole bunch of moms mm-hmm. genetically. But the oldest mom there, the grandmother one, she has this constant thing for sleeping with anything that moves. And then it's right now where I'm in, she's starting to go through menopause and she's trying to basically sleep with anything that moves. Mm-hmm. Like, is she actively trying to help her grief process or, or is she trying to avoid assessing the grief? You see what I mean? And I, I see exactly what you mean. By and using I, sex in that way. Like, I, I, think, I think she's trying to avoid that more than anything. And I think that's where the conundrum comes. I think most people try to avoid it by using that as the tool because it releases. And that's, that's the thing that I'm trying to get across with this. Okay. And, and mind you, I'm not, it's, I'm not arguing. I'm just saying, like, it's, it's almost annoying to me that people would use the the inherent skill t- or, or, or ability the effect that's the word I'm looking for the inherent effect of sex is to release that's that happens that's regardless true. of of how you position sex no pun intended yeah. but <laughs> but every other part of it is mental every other aspect outside of the, that inherent effect is mental. Okay, so I'd so, like to pose something okay. in that concept, okay? okay? So say, like this, this, the grandmother mom character, mm-hmm. if she's using that sex as an avoidance of actually addressing grief, if she basically has enough sex, will she eventually have gone through the whole grief process without having to actively go through it? Or is she just prolonging something and making it worse? Well, let's take it from a chemical point of view. You get mm-hmm. your endorphins, you get your dopamine hits, um, you get your uh, your cortisone being subsided. Because if you're really tense, you, you, you get cortisone coursing through. Uh, you have a good-ass orgasm, that one, no pun intended. But if you have, <laughs> if you have a good-ass orgasm, that shit dissipates, right? 
it gets even more fucked up if the sex was not good. And let's let's bypass that one for a moment because that right. could be a whole nother can of worms. Right. So let me let me finish this part of the thought. Mm-hmm. All right. So we're trying to figure out. Okay, is is the so is her having this much sex and avoiding facing the mental aspects of her grief? Um, is it actually going to help her without without her facing it mentally? So I think I think the key there really to define that clearly is her compared to say me grieving the whole menopause yeah, thing. No, I, I get it. I, right? I, I get are we that. going to reach the same place? Right. So here's 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 where I'm here's where I'm I'm throwing this. Shock and disbelief. Right? Mm-hmm. That has a physical toll on the body. Because the shock is a, it produces a very physical result. There's a there's an actual electromagnetic shutdown of the brain. And disbelief in is, her she actually does very shocking like and she gets the denial though this isn't happening right away they indicate that right okay. now disbelief Sorry, I'm, just, yeah. I'm excited because this I is interesting you. I get you disbelief is a mental process and it's practiced mm-hmm. right um, denial is also a mental process process that is practiced mm-hmm. it's it's stupid something just happened in front of you and your first response is to deny it like it's a fucking stupid shit piece of shit thing to do like you know what I mean, and I'm not calling out people as being a, a stupid piece of shit. That's not. It's just stupid that it exists in it's the human psyche. Stupid that that this action has been perpetuated through human psyche. And you don't see animals doing this, really. Animals will never fucking do it. So why do we do it? It's just weird. If if an elk, if a, a male elk, gets a whiff of a hunter. It is because it got a whiff of something that is not an elk. And it's not going, no, no, that's not a hunter. I'm just going to keep going. It goes, you know, well, I mean, an it elk can... is a bad thing. Let's, let's call it a deer because elk are kind of like moose and a little bit badass sometimes. But okay. okay. Fair enough. Let's, let's, let's switch that to a deer. Right. The deer is not going to deny it and be like, nah, no. nah, nah, the... nah, nah, man. Even if the deer, even if the deer doesn't see where the smell came from, if it doesn't see movement in where the smell came from, the deer is getting the fuck out of there. Yep. The only time deer usually stand, just from a biological point of view, is if they can't understand the smell. So that's why hunters use different you know, technologies now to mask their mask the smell of a human. Yeah, you can get like the the humanless type spray. Right. And it's still, it's still not a hundred percent foolproof because it's still have to be like um Yeah, you but know. Let, let me finish. The over time, that is something that the deer will acclimate to. Mm-hmm. And the next generation of deer will now know that smell as a part of their vocabulary. This is why they have to keep up in the ante on these products, because the deer are going to get smarter every time. You know what I mean? Like but it, let's let's go to it. We were talking about that that dumb thing that we seem to have where we're in that denial thing. Yes, but the, but this this is relating to that. This is what I'm saying. The the denial, the the state of denial that humans go into is the same as a deer that second guesses in that moment. This smells like a human, but I'm not 100 percent sure if it's actually a human. 
let me look up and see. Moment you decides to look up, it's game over. That's that's a thirty yard six behind <laughs> behind the shoulder, but, and it's done. Okay, so are you saying that deer do also do the same denial thing or not? But of course they do the same denial. So thing. then we need to just kind of nix that point out there because the argument there was that animals don't have a denial thing. So if they do it too, then we're just. I think they do. Okay, so then we've kind of nixed out our own point there. Continuing on to the next point over here, then with our Guilt. whole sex thing. Yep. That, I mean, obviously we can see where the pertinence of that is. Guilt is something that very despicable players use. Because if they get you guilty and feeling guilty, then they get sex. I've watched ex-buddies of mine do this at the bar. Mm -hmm. Make girls feel guilty. just because It's a narcissistic move. You know, a lot of women don't think that they fall for it. The the guilt game is a very serious player game. It's a very serious player game. In terms of this context, guilt has a certain... uh, What am I looking for here? It has a certain response, chemical response in the body. Okay. Sex releases that sex definitively releases that out of the system mm-hmm. right um, anger two words angry sex <laughs> all right okay uh, depression really really heavy pillow talk that if if the other person is not into that it will freak them out and then they'll go screw. Mm. Because the text, sometimes the sex could be that good that it brings you to a state of depression to remember that, oh, shit, I used to have great sex and this, this great sex just reminded me of that great sex that I used to have. And then they immediately go into depression. Completely forgetting about yeah. the great sex that they just had in that moment. Of course, the next one is the... Um the hope and uh, hope and acceptance. Acceptance. So here's where it gets really fucked up because okay. they begin to hope. Well, maybe this person could replace that other person, and that's where the rebound oh. relationships get absolutely royally fucked. Because the hope, they 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 come to a place of acceptance that okay, I'm never getting that person back. But I just got great sex from them. And coming to think of it, I've been having great sex with them. Maybe they could replace what I've lost. And that mentality of thinking that you could replace what you've lost with the person that is there now, that's where it gets fucked up. If we take that, you know, experiment if we're doing the whole scientific method mm-hmm. still watching way too much to twist here <laughs> in this household but anyway then our our proposed conclusion there is that yes you could use sex to go through the grief process and arrive at the same conclusion as someone who just goes through it Mentally. in a mental type fashion. I mean, we have to say that only because everyone processes things differently. And it's not to, like, say that we're promoting, you know, 
go ahead, just do sex. But it's interesting to consider that one could, by that, by just by the way we've laid it out, by this um, you know, scientific method, mm-hmm. <laughs> our conclusion does so far seem to be that you could indeed reach the same end process of the grief simply through sex. Yeah. Now, it takes a really strong person, more. though. Let's take, say, a widow concept. Mm-hmm. Can we play the same through? Can they go through the grief process with sex? Well, Do they could, but here's, 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 the, here's the conundrum with that. A widow who was truly in love with her husband mm-hmm. is going to feel that guilt and never have that kind of sex. So there is that. And maybe that's where we do get longer drawn out grief happening. But theoretically, if she did... Her loins shut down. Let's say she was in a nice, healthy, polyamorous type relationship or something. And she feels the ability to go forward and do that. Okay. So say for some reason she can get past that guilt part and go through it. Could that sex still heal that loss? She would have to be at the stage of acceptance. Like, she literally would have to go through the stage of acceptance. Mm-hmm. Like, she would have to accept that she can give herself permission to do that. And most, most people don't ever reach that stage of acceptance. Mm-hmm. At least not in a healthy way. So then it's kind of debatable whether our conclusion is 100%. I don't, right. I don't, I, mean, I, I don't, I don't I think mean, it I is. I certainly think I th- it's a possibility. I don't think it is a, 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 hmm. a, I don't think it's a solution because. Right. It's not, not an ideal solution, no. but yeah, in, in this hypothesis here, uh, it certainly could be done. Well, yes. The point and is that it could be done. Here's how I think it could be done. If you are 100% conscious about using this method, then yes, it could be done. The other part of it is you really have to choose the person that you're going to do this with because they or have persons. to know what persons. <laughs> I mean, like, they have to... They don't necessarily have to be fully involved in your internal process during the act of sex. But if they in some way know that your your base reason is... You are healing through them participating in sex with you, then that's another reason why this could potentially work. But if you just go into it all willy nilly and shit, you, all you're doing is compounding the issue. Mm. Again, no pun intended. <laughs> There's a lot of oh, grief talk has gone a whole different direction than where I thought it was going to go. <laughs> well, interesting though. Well, I wasn't trying to bore people for two hours then. <laughs> Let's talk about grief and sex in the same conversation a whole lot. Well, the, it's, it's powerful, it, though. It is, because how many people really think of this? Love That's kills, grief kills, sex kills. Them three in the same fucking tank? Like, we're talking like... Fucking hell. <laughs> I mean, certainly we can conclude that everyone goes through grief differently, but that's that's a fairly standard concept. I think knowing how to go through the grief process or what the grief process is and simply identifying it as you're going through will make a big difference for anyone no matter what route they're taking absolutely 
And it is crucial to resolve the grief ultimately. Mm-hmm. Because you can't truly move on if you're stuck in one of those stages. You can't live. You can't experience life. Like, let's say you want to take a new, you know, a new career and you go into university again or something. And you're stuck somewhere in, like, the denial thing. Not, you're going to have issues even getting through your university course. You're not going to you know, survive. It, right. You're going to there's, there's you have issues. You have to have a certain mental acuity and mental agility to be able to, to study um, broad and, and finite concepts. Like what you would experience in a university, and that level of brain power is what grief hijacks. Yeah. Like ultimately, grief hijacks your ability to be um, uh, plastically effective in your life. Like True. you, you have almost zero plasticity. Plasticity, whatever that word is. It's plasticity. Yes, that word there. And I mean, we can certainly see, I think it's mainstream enough that I, that's why I didn't go through the concept of, you know, say the depression or the guilt stages. Mm-hmm. I think it's clear enough that if you don't deal with those, they will certainly hinder all aspects of your life. Right. But there are some people who are still very volatile sexually when they're depressed. Um, I've got a thought. Mm. Just bringing it back here. You did say in what you read off of um, the site there, that people can go through this multiple times in their life, like multiple times in their life with a certain thing. Mm -hmm. So do we think that, I'm just hypothesizing here, do we think that one, to at least reach a healthy grief status, they have to have at least gone through those stages once, at least once? To be I able think, to move on? I think you need de- you need more than one. I'll tell I think you more why. than one. I'll tell you why. Let's let's take the assumption that a person d- used sex to go through this initial grief process. Mm-hmm. There's still no mental setup as to how they're going to negotiate. If, if if other situations of loss arise in their life. See, the purpose of going through the grief process according to like how psychologists uh, understand it is to give the person a set of tools so that they can recognize when these feelings happen again and that they can now use the new tools to either adjudicate or assimilate or you know, in some way, find resolution to future losses, right? This so this is just what I'm saying. Yeah. Like, so by using the, the sex route, if you're not mentally during your orgasms, actually setting up, okay, I feel this release and now I can release my thoughts on X, Y, Z that relates directly to what I've lost. If you're not doing that during your orgasm or doing that through your pleasure, then you can go through all seven of these using sex, feel great, and not have any sort of relapse into depression or anger that's related to that grief. But then if there's another situation of loss that happens in your life, it could completely fuck you over because you haven't actually set up a new um, 
organized set of parameters of, okay, here's how I am now going to deal with loss. The only reason why people end up going through grief is because you don't have a set of tools that shows you how to grieve. So it throws your entire mental system out of whack. If you have that vocabulary within you, when, when you are experiencing loss, you're going to respond in a very specific way. No matter how painful it is, you're going to respond in that specific way that you learned. So, you understand what I'm saying? Yeah, like, I do. Now, yeah. on that note, I think from what you said, because we've gone over the ways in which one can grieve, we've talked right. about the stages. Yeah. I think from what you're indicating here, I think what we need to really focus on then are the tools that come with each stage. More so, because there's so much emphasis on know the stages of grief, know the stages of grief, mm-hmm. but that doesn't tell the how. Well, that's where a lot of the, the psychologists and coaches and all these programs try to make some money off of, because they'll take people through a fucking 10-year process. So, okay, here's how you grieve. Here's how you do this today. How you doing today? Then like, are we not doing this now with our little one, teaching her the tools for that's grief? That's exactly And that comes back doing. to that original point of being taught how to grieve no matter the situation, which is giving the tools at, to get through each of those stages of grief. Yeah, it's a vocabulary. Hmm. So it's key to have the tools along with the stages, which I think is a key thing to really emphasize. I know I'm repeating, but I think that's such a key emphasis. Yes. That you can know the stages of grief all you want, but that doesn't mean you know how to go through them. Yeah. And the purpose of having to go through it mentally is so that you can set up a way that you are going to respond in the future tense. Consider laying out a few, a few like concepts and guidelines. See what we can kind of come together with. Because I'm just thinking about this on a broader spectrum. If you consider, because we do have a whole repertoire of tools. I'm th- just thinking. You know me. I like I like math and organization and such. Mm-hmm. So I get this epic idea in my head. I'm like, okay, take the various humors and the personality types and the mm-hmm. learning things chart it all out with different for the different stages for various exercises that'll actually work there Could are a few there are a few systems that already do that oh really yeah just oh, not from a not from a spiritual perspective mm. not from the kind oh. of persp- the, the spiritual perspective that no we, psychic involved on the team no <laughs> none at all i've read i read a, i've read a few of those you know from Various PDFs. And so then I'm curious because I'm thinking about those who have come to us for mediumship because that, as a psychic, that happens so much. Mediumship, mediumship, mediumship. I get that that's part of, you know, going through your grief and such. Mm-hmm. But how necessary is it to go through mediumship? If um, you have different tools, is it necessary even? Well, okay, look at it from this perspective. You can't let go. Mm-hmm. But you've come to the place of acceptance that this person is gone. So you want to find when, when there's that gnawing feeling in you that, listen, there has to be a reason why this happened. And why am I unable to actually let this go, even though I have accepted that this person is physically gone? This mm-hmm. is where mediumship comes in. The, the, the seeking out of, okay, I didn't get to say goodbye or... Uh, we left on a bad note, and I feel horrible guilt, right? 
um, I'm angry that you left. Suicide, right? Uh, you're selfish and I don't know how to negotiate. Like all of these things are reasons why people would make use of mediumship in, in order to try to resolve the grief. So it's not... It, it, yeah, I see what you're saying. Yeah. Um, here's a thought. Mm-hmm. If that be the case, and when I take into account that concept, along with that consideration that you may go through these stages again, is there a whole second stage to grief well, outside of those main, you know, say seven stages that we are not addressing? I firmly believe there is because this happens when I am uh, mentoring and a person goes through Dark Night of the Soul once, mm-hmm. or like it's now called, which just fucking pisses me off. The new term for this is, is shadow work. What? It makes no fucking sense. Listen, sh- you hear the term shadow work, the original term for that is Dark Night of the Soul. And that's what it is. You're okay. facing the most For those who do not know, I don't know if you know this, I am getting screamed at. Shadow work is a whole different definition yes. than Dark Knight of the Soul. They're not even... They're they're not, not, they're not shadow even, work no. has to do with what they do on their side to make yes. actions occur. That has nothing to do with yes. Dark Knight of the Soul. Which I already know that. Oh. For our listeners, like she literally just, just got psychic screamed at. This is hard. My right. head's ringing a little bit. Right. This is the this is the level of bullshit that we have to kind of put up with with, with people in this industry calling dumb, just it's annoying. <laughs> anyway, Dark Knight of the Soul is what happens um, in grief because you're facing the most negative aspects of yourself. So for me, when I look at someone going through second, third, fourth, or even there's, fifth there's stages, major, of- major, major, major argument with that. Mm, just give my pounding head a moment there. You. They have uh, to. They have to let me finish explaining it, right? They. They are telling me you cannot classify it like that. Oh, you God. definitely cannot apply. Like, yes, there are aspects there, but you cannot apply it. I'm getting screamed at so hard. I will try to let you say words. Okay. But whoa. Chill. Let me finish. <laughs> the. All right. Let me rephrase it this way. The equivalent is Dark Knight of the Soul when you're going through grief. That's that's what a, the equivalent of a human experience would be. It doesn't mean it's the same thing, but that's that's the equivalent of what it is. Um, as, oh yeah, they're still screaming. <laughs> they're still screaming that you don't got it right. <laughs> Let me finish my thought. Um, somebody goes through this it's going to happen repeatedly if they don't resolve it the first time around. It's very unlikely that they resolve it the first time around because there's not enough advanced vocabulary. So the more vocabulary that they have about that negative aspect of themselves that they're experiencing, then they begin to find, oh, this is a new stage of, of a part of the grief that I hadn't seen before. And the same experience happens with Dark Knight of the Soul. The exact same experience happens with Dark Knight of the Soul. When you go through that process to 
understand and to amalgamate and to be more of yourself. When you can go through that, you come out the other end. Yay, you're excited, right? And then something else happens and then you have to go through it again. It's literally just because you're now into another layer of that part of yourself. So obviously there's going to be a deeper dark side layer that you have to face. So what you're trying to indicate is more so the cyclical nature of um, grief as it is similar to the cyclical nature of dark night of the soul. That's why I told them. They got to just chill while I'm trying to explain the thing. <laughs> they're still not happy with I mean, you drawing the reference in any way, shape, or form I, because they're far too different, apparently. Yeah. I get it. For our listeners, basically, <laughs> we're having a psychic argument with <laughs> couple one couple of our um, uh, our beings that just hang out with us. Yeah, we're not gonna tell you their names right no. here and now because no, that's... I don't know you that well. <laughs> <laughs> it's not meant to be rude, but um, and this is one thing we come across though is the secrecy thing. We don't try to be secret about things, but with. <laughs> let me quote spider-man here with great power comes great responsibility <laughs> and so if we tell just exactly who we're dealing with i mean that's disrespectful to the being themselves to potentially have to deal with someone who doesn't know enough about them to develop a decent relationship or to even to even know where their specialties may lie uh we don't you know if we just say out a name anyone could call them and it really it really diminishes what they're capable of so it's disrespectful to them as much as and as much to our listener to just go ahead and say the name without teaching you the fact of the matter is there are people who would listen to us just so that they could find out a name of a being that they could go call on their own and then they they absolutely fuck it up and then they try to blame well well you said the name so i just went call the name and and that's, that's why not careful. I mean, that's why we have to be careful about it. This is not about then being you as the listener. You're wasting your time and resources um, by mucking things up, causing problems, blaming it on us. <laughs> and for the being, that is a waste of their time. And it's it's using a friendship. It's it's irresponsible for us. It to is do that. irresponsible because we we have like, worked are we really. Going to send... We have worked hard on on making those relationships profound. Yeah. So it's not like it's it's very irresponsible to just throw a name out there just just because we can. Right. Anyway, that was a tangent. <laughs> um, just given that we were having an additional conversation on the side here yes. with someone not here, I didn't want it to sound all kooky and strange and at least address no, what's no, happening I, a little I clearer. It. I know they'll get it too. Um, the point of it I like being... I over talk. Yes. The point of it being that when when you're going through grief if you happen to be experiencing it a second time around don't don't think about it like a cancer that's researched that's because that's not how it is you're simply going through a second layer of understanding the power that you're holding within yourself Right, it, grief is a is a very powerful thing, but it stems on loss. And if you don't have the tools to handle loss, you're always going to experience grief negatively. So even if you're in counseling or you're in coaching, make sure that your counselor or coach 
or 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 a psychologist is giving you profound tools to handle loss because loss uh, i read the definition here earlier on right loss is the the progenitor of where grief comes from right this is this is that spark that sits right next to that fucking barrel of gasoline that will light that shit up so if you have a very good solid handle mental tools to recognize when you are experiencing loss it will make the grieving process a lot easier it doesn't mean that it's going to be less painful don't don't think for a second that you're going to have less pain simply because you have more tools that shit ain't happening right uh, a, a, a spouse that has been your friend for you know 40 years dying that shit will fuck with you that is going to be painful as fuck but if you have tools to mitigate how you respond to loss then it's not going to be as hard to get through those seven stages of grief. You'll be able to actually go through them consciously or like the new term, mindfully. <laughs> Fucking hate these new labels. Oh my God. Uh, uh, anyway, that's the point of, that's the point that I'm, I'm bringing where that's concerned. It's all about the tools those tools are that's that's the secret of the success and all it comes down to mostly is vocabulary when you understand the vocabulary of a thing it helps you to truly uh get a really good handle a good sense of it if more people understood vocabulary we really wouldn't be in a lot of the positions that we are and i i'm I'm not slight tangent just that was a good reference anyone ever watch some of those um the historical uh uh historical fiction um genre movies and such Mm. the words used they have such a huge vocabulary compared to what we generally do now. Mm-hmm. Certainly, we now we have a lot more acronyms and such. I mean, let's just think text messaging and such mm-hmm. and technology words. But they had all kinds of ways to describe, like, the, the bout of their passion and such. Well, yeah. So even just referencing, the, the only thing I'm doing with referencing that is... Vocabulary is huge. Like, people consider Shakespeare a wonder of words, but did he not just have a fantastic vocabulary? Interesting um, to consider. Like we're, we're we're coming down to the time here, so I think what okay. I'm, gonna do, I'm gonna find I'm gonna find something here. I'm gonna find something on my Spotify here. Um, Tools as vocabulary. Just so to, gonna be some of my parting words because because I, I want I want to I want to highlight what you just said there about about the the older vocabulary. We're still here. He's just looking. Yes. Uh, 
Clickety clack, clickety clack. Clickety clack. Okay. We need like we so, need the background clickety clack music or something. Well, got it? Yeah, I think I got it. So I want anybody signing out without coming to the end of it. Oh, they know. They know. <laughs> they gotta wait for the epic comments at the end. Um, I think this one is it here. Hang on. Let's see if I can. Let's see if it plays well. Got the studio headphones on. Yeah. Stevie Wonder knocks me off my feet. I see us in the park, rolling the summer days of imaginings in my head. And words from a heart. Yeah, I'll let you read it. Hold on me to the So, I mean, when you when you get lyrics like that, right, this is one of the reasons why you'll find, like, uh, some older folks, they, they hate the modern music. Why? Because there's no vocabulary that really gets right into it. You know, for our ears, that kind of vocabulary that really takes the time to articulate what you feel to help the person that you're expressing it to to truly feel like that stuff is missing man you know you have a few artists that still um still envelop themselves in that framing but for the most part the majority of the music is they don't touch on that remember and remember when when we watched that that spider-man version of the movie with the kid that's just it it pissed me off you remember that spider-man version the old uh, um you don't like the uh the kid andrew garfield version right yeah the andrew garfield right like, not that you have a problem with andrew garfield no, but the no, version that no. they did the way they made made the characters whoever barely speak whoever made that version with andrew garfield they should be fucking fired like that it should never have existed because you have an intelligent kid like even the comics didn't describe spider-man like that is an intelligent kid an articulate intelligent kid and then you have him completely not just demoralized, but you cauterize the fucking guy's balls for when he gets in love. That he can't fucking open his mouth to string two words together. And not just in an awkward, nerdy way, but in a total... Like, he looks like he is fucking catatonic. 
Yeah, and I remember the one scene that always stuck with me. I mean, was it Emma Stone that played Mary yeah, Mary yeah, Jane in that one? Yeah. yeah so so anyway, um, the two of them, what they had going on for for the dialogue was it was absolute it was shit. Like, so you know when I yeah, and um, well, like I'm literally word for word saying, <laughs> well, not word for word, but this is exactly how it went. I'm not just lost in my thought. The way they wrote their scripts was like this so you know when do you wanna well so you feel yeah yeah so we so then okay all right then and i'm fucking we're both sitting watching this and i could not hold my tongue anymore i said to her i said babe if this i turned off the movie at that point i didn't finish watching if this is how young people talk now fuck we are going to a place that's lower than hell and not in a fucking handbasket. Like, that's fucked because up. Because we're not actual words. And it wasn't, like, the healthy mind-reading type thing. No, because it was when that's what they were trying to portray. The, the awkward that they're, they're text so, messaging yeah, nonsense. They're so connected that they try, they can finish each other's thoughts. And it did not it translate. It did not come across. It like, did not come across. All. Right? So, anyway, the big They tab- did not have a psychic on their team. Oh, fuck no. <laughs> To, to give them advice as to how to make that come across. Um, the the biggest point of this part is the vocabulary is important. Yes. It is the most important thing because it's going to allow you uh, to navigate having tools. Those tools are going to be designed to help you to negotiate and to alleviate the stresses of not knowing how to respond to loss. And if you could just get a handle on that, I promise you, if you could just get a handle on having those tools as to how you respond to loss, it will make your journey through grief a lot easier, not less painful, just a lot easier that's that's what I can end with you got yes. any words um, knowledge is power fuck yeah <laughs> I love that that's been our motto for a while for our our company knowledge is power that all you got I'm PMS and I'm making pancakes right now oh. last words knowledge is power I'm out here you go I'm making pancakes <laughs> sorry sorry everybody <laughs> yay for pancakes 